0: Humanity has an age-old obsession with the end of the world. That obsession is why we're here, as explorers. You're one of the first people to set foot in this dark new world. And you're about to start on a journey you'll never forget. Welcome to a new episode of Ash Tales, the post-apocalyptic podcast. Today, we have a brand new story from a brand new writer and a brand new narrator as well. In an effort to be more consistent, shall we say, I've enlisted the help of my good friend and writer, Josh Moynihan. Josh has kindly volunteered to help narrate a few stories, hopefully doubling our output and getting more post-apocalyptic fiction injected directly into your earholes. He also has an equally soothing British voice, so you're in good hands. Now, today's story is a little grisly, a little gruesome, and a whole lot surreal. Body Parts Jewelry Store Man is written by legal ghostwriter, space camp alum, and volcanic eruption survivor Michael Carter. You can find more of Michael's fiction in the show notes. Now, it's over to Josh and Michael, and on with today's story.
1: I'll take five diamond earrings, the lady from the fourth encampment north said. Five pairs of diamond earrings, I asked. Yes, five pairs, and I want them all fingertip. Coming right up, ma'am. The five pairs of fingertip diamond earrings. I'm going to close early today. She smiled and handed me her payment and units. I don't have many days like that anymore, but when I first opened my jewellery store, I had sales like that all the time. My store was all the buzz around town and beyond. Not just because I sold body parts, which might have alarmed some people from the old world, but because the pieces were in such high demand. I'm not sure how the fad started, but I had what they wanted, and I kept food on the table and paid the bills. Things were different after nations fell, and the world became a twisted mass of hair, steel, concrete, torn skirts, armcasts and garbage. You survived under a code of ethics, using judgement instead of devices. People lived and died on the honour system. Some people bartered. Some people stole. If you were lucky, you found your way into a town or encampment and they let you stay. I'm fortunate to live in a small town that offers protection and a way to make a living. We have all the basic necessities here, even running water and sewerage. No full-blown electrical grid, but we have battery charging stations on the outskirts of town run by windmills and a few solar panels. Our downtown isn't considered ritzy, by new odd standards, but it's nice. The hotspot is a saloon-like establishment on the corner of Main and Maple. You can get food and a cold drink, but you have to pay extra for ice. Sometimes they have live acoustic music. We also have a cannery and a jerky-making joint. You can bring in most meats, and they'll season, dry, and smoke them however you want. Jill's trading company is on the main strip as well, next to the watering hole. Her place is similar to a pawn shop. You can buy, sell, or trade just about anything there. Except for body parts jewellery. I'd known Jill since we were kids, and we had an unwritten agreement that she'd leave the body parts jewellery market to me. I always appreciated her generosity. She didn't have to do that. She could have easily sold jewellery in her store and left me high and dry. With most other ways to make a living taken, I probably would have had to move to another town. I think the reason she ceded jewellery to me was that she just didn't get it and thought it would never turn a profit. Who would want to wear other people's fingers and ears? she'd ask. I thought the same thing at first but there are folks out there with plenty of units or something to trade, and that's what they wanted, so that's what I gave them. When I'm pressed about my business, and how it ever became a big thing, like Jill did at first, I show them a photograph I keep behind the counter. My great-grandpa gave it to me when I was a kid. He fought in a war called the Vietnam Conflict, but most of the time he just referred to it as Nam. The picture is of him and his battle buddies, dressed in their BDU's hues with cigarettes hanging out of their mouths. They're all smiling except the guy on the far right. He has that look in his eyes like he'd been in the jungle too long. A necklace of human ears dangles over his tattooed, perspiration-glazed chest. Great-grandpa said they were from the guy's hand-to-hand combat skills. He'd taken them off his victims with his kabar, dried them, and strung them on a paratrooper cord. They were his trophies, proof of days in the bush. They were also a warning, that it was someone not to be reckoned with. I suspect that's what most of my customers are after. It's dangerous out there, especially when food or necessities become scarce, and crime picks up. When you wear body parts jewellery, people take you seriously. An elegant piece... With fancy polished stones or diamonds, shows you're all business. You have the means to acquire it, and the guts to flaunt it. Jill, for example, had some rough customers occasionally. When she finally bought into the idea of wearing my stuff, I gave her one of my best pieces, no charge. It was a meaty, five-finger necklace, different skin colours, big knuckles. I can't imagine the size of the guys those fingers came from. Needless to say, no one ever gave her any crap when she wore it. Necklaces with just one or two parts were popular, usually a combination of fingers or toes. Ears were desirable as well, of course. They were worn just like in great-grandpa's photograph, but my pieces were done in style with high-quality leather straps or precious metal chains, and quality clasps that could withstand a good yanking. Noses were expensive. They usually shriveled too much when I cured them, so I had to insert extra cartilage if I had any, or retrofit with hard plastic pieces. Otherwise, they looked like overly shriveled prunes. I had other pieces as well. In addition to fingertip earrings, I'd do toe-tip earrings, armbands or wristbands made of earlobes strung together if I couldn't use the whole ear, and sometimes rings made of whatever I had left over. Every once in a while, someone would bring in pieces of skin. I'd take them, but they didn't fetch much in return. I needed a lot to double up and put together a belt or something useful, so it usually sat in the shop for months until I could collect enough to make a piece. I had a don't ask, don't tell policy with my body parts providers and customers. I didn't want to know where the pieces came from, and in turn, if I knew, I didn't want to tell the customers. Almost every part came from an outside cellar, but occasionally I took some myself. Customers were usually cordial, and no one hardly ever gave me any trouble, considering my line of work. Occasionally, however, someone would stroll in from one of the uppity encampments on the coast, or they'd just rob me the wrong way. I had a gent come in the other day, looking for something for his wife. He yapped a lot and asked too many questions despite my don't ask, don't tell policy posted right behind the register. I'm always willing to negotiate, but he lowballed me on some desirable nose pieces. I was polite and told him I couldn't let them go for what he was offering. He growled through his neatly trimmed beard and smirked. He strolled around the shop for a while and then made some cannibal crack like, what do they do with the rest of the bodies, eat them? I forced a chuckle, even though it wasn't funny. He held his hand too close to my face, tapped his wedding ring and said, I need platinum. At the time I had only sterling silver and white gold, which he said just wasn't extravagant enough for his wife's tastes. Then he mumbled that he might have to check out the trading company to see if they had anything. So I told him I had some special pieces i just completed in the basement of the shop. Where I cured and put together everything before bringing it up to the showroom. He said he wanted to take a look. I usually don't take customers downstairs unless things are just right. There's a long, rickety stairway, with a single incandescent bulb dangling about halfway down that drains the shop's batteries more than I'd like. I wouldn't want anyone to trip on those stairs on their way down. Most of the basement is unfinished 2x4s, and not presentable to customers anyway but no one else was in the shop that day and i was a little low on inventory you see guys like this always seem to come around at the right time and even though this fellow had piano fingers he had a striking complexion and the most remarkable plump lips
0: that's all from today's episode of ash tales thanks go again to michael carter for writing today's story and to Josh Moynihan for lending his dulcet tones to the narration. For more post-apocalyptic tales just like this one, head over to ashtales.com. And if you're looking for your next post-apocalyptic read, well, don't forget to check out Ashtales' first published novel, The Green Priest, written by yours truly. The link is in the show notes. Until next time...